every question. I don't, you know, it's not what the purpose of tonight is, but I do want to give you a sense about where I feel like a couple things that God's kind of emphasized to me over the summer and as a, I've been praying about our church and um, where I feel like our next steps are. So um, let's pray and then I'll give you a sense of where that is. So let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the courageous people in this room. I know that what they do is, um, you know, at, at times it may seem difficult. I know that what they do um, requires them showing up and giving more than the average person. It means having eyes for people who are, who are generally unwelcomed. It means having a heart for people who need prayer. Father, I'm grateful that these, this group of people, this is a group of people who have made this church their own church. Father, there is um, a great future ahead of us. And I'm grateful, Father, that there is these kind of courageous people who say we're willing to embrace a future that may even look otherwise impossible. And so, Jesus, as we talk tonight, would it be a night to celebrate things? Might we respond with joy? Might we connect with people we haven't seen in a while? Might we meet new people? And, Father, might the the picture you have for our church come into focus today, Lord. And so, Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, the assumption in Unleash the Impossible is that God is going to unleash some impossible stuff. That the world would say, this is impossible and you can't do this. But that God would do some impossible things. That everyone would go, there's no way this could happen. Not that it's just, just you guys can't and we can't and that's not going to happen. Let me just tell you, this is, this is kind of what we're believing in here. That what God wants to do in this place with us is stuff that the world says that can't be done. And let me just give you a sense of how that looks like to me, how I see that. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. Maybe this looks familiar from some of what you saw today if you were at church. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. There's four different distinctions given to people who walk with God right here. All four of them are group identity of things. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Which means some of you have come into into the night and you may have believed that you're kind of an accident, that there may be something about you that is kind of still believe that you're kind of allowed to play, but you're not really, you know what the truth is? You are God's holy people, a treasured possession, a royal priesthood, chosen people. God is so thrilled about you. And he says this about us. Can you put that back on the screen? First Peter 2. That you may declare, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The purposes for which you have been named these people, chosen, treasured, all that kind of stuff, is to declare praise. That's what we do. That is the the task of what we've been called. Here's what it says in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Meaning, to use our language from today, at one point you were not a tribe, and now you are. And, And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, you have an identity and you've been given a particular or peculiar responsibility in that identity, which is to declare God's praises, but also to do this. To not fit. To somehow live in a world in which you don't necessarily perfectly fit into it, but yet you can't also simultaneously, you don't get to extract yourself from it. We have to live in such a way, God has put this on us, his chosen people, his treasured possession, to live in the world, but seem peculiar in it a little bit. 
It means there's certain things that we do or don't do that the world does and says, this is, this is perfectly fine. But we say, maybe we got to think about it a little differently. So you don't fit, but you can't leave. And the impossible thing that God's calling us to do is he says this, through you, God will be glorified. To a world which does not know him, a world which resists him, through you, God will be glorified. It's God's story told through our lives. God's called us to great work. God's called us to be a part of some really impossible and amazing things that we don't get to control, but we get to kind of tell the story of what God's doing in in the midst of it. There's four things I think God's calling us into this year, and I'm not going to take forever to talk about all these things, and there's like so many things you're going to be wondering, what's that all mean? And I don't have enough time, and I don't, it's not, I just want to give you the broad strokes of what this looks like. Four kind of key initiatives, things I want you to know about. Um, so it means we have to say no to some things that are really good. It means we get to say yes to these. Maybe next year these things might be the same. They might be different, but these are the things I, that just God has really impressed upon me that he wants us to do for this year, and here's what they are. Number one, unleash disciples. Unleash disciples. When we, um, when we talk about what the word disciple means, you have a couple different definitions. You have words like student, you have words like learner, you have things like this, but the best definition of a disciple that I've ever heard is the word apprentice. And we don't have a lot of, most people in, you know, in our world don't have apprentices, we don't have apprenticeships as much as we used to. Unless you're in carpenter. Anybody like a carpenter? Or married to a carpenter? Something like that? Yes? Okay. Is your husband, Sally, is, your, is, is, is Rick a, like, is he a master carpenter? He is. How long was his apprenticeship? So he started an apprenticeship in high school. When did he become a master carpenter? Good question. He's still not a master, but we won't tell him. <laughs> He's really talented. Okay, but here's the deal. Those kinds of, to be a master carpenter means you have already, the way in which you become a master carpenter is by learning these skills that go along with whatever it means to be a carpenter. And generally what happens is, though at least in the ancient world, when people became a master, when they became, their apprenticeship was over, was when the work that they could do was indistinguishable from that of the master. Meaning that they, whatever would, people would see two things side by side and they would go, who made that? The master or the apprentice. And when that work was indistinguishable, then that person was no longer an apprentice. This is what a disciple is. Who, their own life is being constantly shaped to be more and more like Jesus. That means they're, the things that make Jesus' own heart weep make disciples' hearts weep. The kind of action that Jesus took is the kind of action that the disciples take. And it's this ongoing work of Jesus in our lives to shape us to be those kinds of people for whom our lives is to a greater and greater degree indistinguishable from the work of the master. That's what a disciple is. Now, traditionally, we talk about like being, or talking about discipleship. Generally, if you grew up in the church, it means like Bible study. That's what it means. Like we're going we're gonna to build into the discipleship of the people and we're going to teach them the Bible. And there's a, there's a, I don't know you'd call him, a, he's not really a theologian, I guess he's a theologian, he's a, like a big time Bible dude, we'll just call him that, that covers a lot of stuff. Um, D.L. Moody said this, we study the Bible not for knowledge, we study and teach the Bible not to give people knowledge, but to change people's lives. In other words, it doesn't matter what we say or what people learn about the Bible if there's no real impact in their lives, and I, and I want to tell you, I, I have, I want to try to reframe discipleship a little bit under this banner of 1 Peter 2.12 about how we live our lives, that people might see our lives and glorify God. Um, anybody here listen to um, the Radio Lab podcast from NPR? Anybody else listen to this show? Anybody else? Five, six people are awesome in here. Okay, great. Um, Radio Lab, for those of you, it's, it's a very, very, very cool show. It's, um, it's produced by, um, what is it? It's WNYC in New York. 
and NPR rebroadcasts on Wednesday and Saturdays, and you can listen to their podcast. So I'm listening the other day, just the podcast, so I'm kind of catching up. Super interesting show, always interesting guests, always kind of remarkable things. They had, the, they had a, a guest on the show who, I'm sure you guys have heard this story, it was in other news too, a guy who wrote a book called Life Animated, and it was a guy whose son had, uh, who had su- suffered from severe autism, and then he started watching Disney movies. Did you guys hear this story? Yes. And then, so he wrote a book about it, and his son started watching Disney movies over and over again. It's the only thing that would keep him calm. So the story goes like this. So he's watching Disney movies. He's t- you know, the whole, the whole you know, they're kind of giving the example, and the dad's on the show, and the mom's on the show, and, and he says, well, so my, my son started saying this word around five or six years old, juicer verse. Is that on the screen? That word, juicer verse. And they're like, we have, the parents have no idea what that means. They hear this over and over again. The kid's saying this over and over again. Because one of the only words he could produce is the word juice. So he kept saying, juice or vos, juice or vos. And they're like, what are you talking about? So eventually he takes the movie from The Little Mermaid. The, 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 the kid takes The Little Mermaid, to, brings his parents over to the thing, and he figured out how to work the remote control because the older brother had showed him. And he kept saying, juice or vos, juice or vos. He's watching The Little Mermaid, and as it's going, it's still going, the show's going. And he, goes, he keeps saying, juice or vos, juice or vos. And the parents are like, yeah, we get it. Juice, you want juice? No, juice or vos. It gets louder and louder. And he gets to the scene where the, the sea witch, Ursula, is talking to Ariel and she, she says, I just want your voice, just your voice, juice or voice. And they're like, are you talking about your voice? Your vo-? And, they all, and the kid starts to like, ah, oh, he kind of has this reaction. Oh my gosh. And he keeps rewinding it over and over again. Just your voice. Just, you know, she says that, just your voice or whatever else she said. That was a great impression, by the way. But <laughs> just your voice, just your voice. And he begins to have this conversation. The dad then begins to start saying he finds a, a, a puppet of the bird, Yago from uh, Aladdin. You guys remember the, the sort of sidekick of the bad guy Jafar and he, the dad who is a he's a brilliant guy he's a New York I think no he's a what is he a um, Washington Post writer so he has the he, he has he gets puts the, his hand in the puppet he ducks down and he starts talking to his son using what's his name's voice the Gilbert Godfrey, Gilbert Godfrey. Starts doing, he goes and the guy the guy says it's an easy voice to do so I do the voice and I'm like it's not easy how can you do that voice but he does an impression it's like dead on and he goes you know like I forget the kid's name he goes do you you seem like you want to say some stuff. But he says it in his voice. And the kid starts talking to him. They haven't heard their son speak in however many years and all kinds. And he's just, and so he, the, the dad goes, for this, for my own son, to be able to speak to him in these terms and in these ways, he began to start having a life, began to communicate with us. And he would use the movies to do this and they would sing songs. and do, That's how he would express. And he began to learn how to have emotion and how to express and how to have empathy for other people, all these skills that autistic folks need. They interviewed then the son, who's now 23 or 4 years old. I said, what are your plans now? He goes, well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great episode. The show, actually, the episode's called Juice Revos. He says, well, they're getting me, I'm going to go move into this community called, called Grow. And we put that on the screen, I have the acronym. There it is, that's what it looks like. And they go, it's an acronym. He go, I'm, uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm going to grow, I'm going I'm to go grow, and growing's what I'm, I'm going I'm to go grow. And they're like, well, what are you, what is, what's that about? And he goes, well, it, it, this is brilliant. He goes, it's about helping us figure out how to live in the outside world, how to live like with other people who aren't autistic. And so it's going to be five of us, and we meet with the counselor, and they help us, and we kind of figure out how to do this. The acronym is getting ready for the outside world. Now, I think for so often, and for the history of the church, as long as I know it, most often discipleship was about insulating people from the outside world. (laughs) It was about let's learn our stuff and try to figure out how to, we can look at each other and go, we know this stuff, and we all know, and it's our tribal language, and we all speak it, and we're on the same page, and we don't want to have anybody else come in here and ruin it, because they don't know our special language, and so we're going to keep it all really tight together. 
what would it look like for us to go for the disciples, people who follow Jesus, the apprentices who are trying to figure it out, not simply to be studying for knowledge, but to be getting ready for the outside world. The church is not a place where people who are Christians extract themselves from the world. It's a place in which people who belong to Jesus, these apprentices of Jesus, are getting ready for the outside world. Does that make sense? Thank you for a little you. I like that. I need that. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. The rest of you guys, except for you guys in the plastic seats up front, love you guys. Everybody else, not so much. So that's what true discipleship looks like. Not hiding out from the outside world, but getting ready for it. Figuring out how to get back out there. The world needs changing. Secondly is this, number two, unleash God's story. Unleash God's story. Uh, this is, you know, this is another way of just saying evangelism. Evangelism is a, it's, uh, it's the English version of a Greek word, um, euangelion. And that's a, you means good. And agalos is the word meaning message. So you have, literally translates, means good news. Good news-ism is evangelism. It means telling people the story of God's great work in the world through his son Jesus. Um, I have a very simple strategy for that. It is this, giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. That's it. I don't, I don't have a lot more than that. I don't have a lot, but I, here's the deal. For you who are leaders in our church, I want you to understand that is so critically what your role is in the world. If we lose this, if we lose this idea that part of what God has called us to do is to give people an opportunity to say yes to him, then we have completely missed. Someone asked me not long ago, they go, they, it was really funny. They just go, um, it was a great question, and it was funny to me because I had just hadn't heard it, anybody talk about it in this, these terms in a long time. They go, hey, how come we never do like the plan of salvation? And I said, and I really wanted to say, because I don't know it. <laughs> like, I really like, well, I don't know what that means. What do you mean? And so I was like, as a staff, we were talking about it, and I just go, you know, really, I'm not sure what they meant by the plan of salvation, but I can tell you this. When we talk about what it means to walk with Jesus, we want to give people an opportunity to say yes. And we'll do it in here in different times. We'll do it in more, you know, some ways in big ways where we have people an opportunity to stand up and say stuff. Sometimes it's every week. You'll hear me say it in such a way it's kind of subtle. Just be like, maybe you're looking for, maybe this is a thing, you know, you need to say yes to. But you'll also have this. I want you to understand. Part of what I want you to do in your world, in your life, is give people that opportunity to. And more seriously than I'm going to talk to you a little bit more seriously than I'm going to talk to the rest of the church, which is if there's stuff in your life that is inhibiting your ability to do this, you got to deal with it. You are people who are charged with a unique responsibility. You're leaders and volunteers in our church. You're people who care about, who explain, who live out the lifeblood of what it means to be part of our church community. And you are the people who will speak for Mariner's Mission Viejo. And you are the people who give the best opportunity for people to say yes to Jesus. That's the strategy. It's not real complicated. You know, when I was... Um, this summer, when I was looking at churches, I visited six or seven churches this summer and um, learned a bunch from all different churches. One of the things that was surprising is I visited, I mean, I think three of the churches, they had the pastor, in, as part of his message, said, he, he referenced the, the, the curtain in the temple that was torn in two and Jesus was on the cross. You guys know what I'm talking about. As soon as he dies, then the, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is torn in two. And thus, everybody has access then to, to God. There's no special requirement, whatever. Now, except there's three or four different guys who say this. And I'm like, wow, wait, there's something going on here. I think as we talk about it, there's this, there's this necessity for, for communicating people's unimpeded access to Jesus. I think more often than not, I think about people who would want to come and be a part of our church community, people who are, want to be a part of any kind of a church community, but don't know what it means when you come in the door. 
remember when I was a, a um, I was a kid, and I, all my friends when I was growing up were, were either Jewish or um, Asian. Those are, I don't know how that group of all of my friends ended up being kind of in those two categories. But I went to a, a bunch of bar mitzvahs. And I remember the first time I was in the synagogue, I remember like, what do I do? Like, what am I supposed to do? And I remember, you know, they, they handed me an English version of the Torah, and, you know, I'm holding it, and um, I dropped it. And then everyone, like, was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, I, I don't know. And, that, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a borrowed yarmulke. And I'm like, I, what am I supposed to do? My buddy goes, my buddy Reed goes, you have to kiss it. And I went, come on. He's like, no, you really have to kiss it. It's like, and everyone's kind of looking at me. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, this has got to be a joke. Because you're like seventh grade. You know, everything's a joke. And I'm like, really? Is this what we do? And so I'm like, okay. You know, like, I, kid, I like, did not know what to do with this whole thing. And I actually think people think when they come into a, to a place like this, they go, like, I think they're wondering, what are they going to do in there? What are they going to do? As much as we think we're normal, we're crazy. We're not normal. <laughs> so we got to help people get in here. Now, here's the thing. And the only way that they get their way in here, because part of the thing is, at a minimum, if we're going to be, uh, you know, I think, our, to put it this way, if our world is in need of Jesus, if our world's in need of Jesus, even if they don't know it, they do understand the words of Jesus, which is, which is this. All you who are weary and heavy laden, they understand that phrase. We live in a world of people who are weary and heavy laden. And Jesus says, I'll give you rest. That's something to talk about. Now, at the very least, we're going to be a, a church that gives people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, for sure. But at the minimum, we have to be people who are also invitational in that effort. You know, um, some of you remember not long ago, we did, a, we did a, a message on initiating new habits, you know, kind of that sort of stuff. And, you know, by the show of hands that I asked in the service, generally all of you failed miserably. That's all right. There's, there's another opportunity. There's always an opportunity to take new steps and build new habits. And here's one I'm going to give you right now. Redemption. Okay, remember this? There's a loop. Here, remember the tiny habits formula was this. Look, I can't conquer the whole, I'm not going to read the whole Bible. I don't know how to say that, but I'll just read, I'll just do one thing. Remember this whole conversation? After I brush my teeth, I will read one Bible verse. You know, we talked about that guy going, after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. You know, which someone corrected me. You can't floss one tooth. It's two teeth because it's the gap between the teeth. And... <laughs> Thank you. That's really important information. But you guys remember this, right? Now here, I want to give you a, a different one because here's the thing. When we talk about this idea of being a church that invol- invites people to be a part of what's going on here, I-, I want you to, just for you, I'm not giving this to the rest of the church, you only get this, and I'm charging you with this. <clears throat> you live around people who are weary and heavy laden for different reasons. I'm going to give to you a new habit to initiate in your lives. It's this right here. After I hear someone say, I'm new to the area, or I'm overwhelmed, or I'm dealing with, I will invite them to my church. That's it. These are the cues people have in their life that they're going, I don't have answers for what's going on in my life, and I don't know what to do. And they might turn you down, but they will not be offended if that's how they really feel. There's a buddy, like I told you guys, if you were at church this morning, I told you guys about my neighbor Paul. I invite Paul to church all the time. Paul, if you guys ever want to come, you know, I'd love to have you come down sometime. Thanks, Jeff. That'd be really, maybe that'd be good. That'd be great sometime. Okay. Okay. Let me know. Love to, I, you know, whatever you need. But for you guys, I want you to ingrain these in your heads. In your brain, when you hear people say, yeah, I'm kind of new to the area. I don't really know anybody. You know, if you're interested in come check out a church, come, you come check out my church. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Marriage is in shambles. Kids are going sideways. I'm suffering with some kind of addiction or whatever else it might be. I don't know what I'm, or I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with the loss of this, or I'm dealing with a sickness or an illness. Look, I don't have all the answers, but 
you ever want to come to my church? That's not an offensive thing. It's an endearing, sweet thing at minimum. At most, it's something that changes someone's life forever. Does that make sense? The work that we're all working hard at is about this good news. We believe that God can change people's lives in his son, Jesus, and so we want to give people an opportunity to say yes to him. Whether it's here because we invite them or it's in our neighborhood because we simply explain it to them as best as we know how. And I want to just, some of you are like, I don't know how to explain it. Let me just tell you this. This, is, this isn't the plan of salvation, whatever exactly that specifically she was referring to. But I'll just tell you this, man. I, I know lots of people who have had great effectiveness at leading people toward Jesus by simply saying, I don't know how to explain it, but I think it had something to do with Jesus. That's a perfectly good explanation of pointing people to Jesus. Perfectly good. You don't have to have everything lined up. What you're like, you're afraid they're going to, well, what if they ask me about dinosaurs or something like that? What am I supposed to say? Or, you know, I don't know, but I, I'm pretty sure whatever my life looks like now, something to do with Jesus is a perfectly humble and honest response. Good? Eric. There you go. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> Third, <clears throat> unleash, unleash generosity. Unleash generosity. Um, we, have a, we, have a, we have a church of people that are so generous. I mean, it's really true. There's a lot of, there's a lot, when we have needs, people respond. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time as lead pastors is, you know, there's five of us who get together. Well, there's five of us who are lead pastors, but there's, you know, our boss, Kenton, is over, who oversees all of us, and then a couple other people in this room. But we always talk about what does it look like to unleash generous people. And one of the things we talk about is as the, you know, the, the, the baby boomer generation is now kind of retiring, that they, and we're starting to get more and more aware of the next phase of the church, which is sort of, you know, Gen X, which is a very small band of people, which, that's me. I might be the only one in the room, Gen X. Uh, but then there's, uh, then there's like the millennials is the next group. And so what they talk about all the time is the way, the way those groups, all three of those groups of people, there's other groups too, but those three groups, the way that they perceive the church is all different. And the way they perceive how money should be handled by the church is all different. So in the oldest generation of people, there's an understanding of the institution of church and what it, what it means. For the Gen Xs and Gen Ys, Gen Xs are really suspicious of institutions. And the Gen Ys say, well, we just don't know because there's not a, we need to see a clear cause attached to what you're doing. That we need to see some kind of what you're doing isn't enough unless it has some clear impact on people that aren't you. Does that make sense? Which all, all of those positions are actually pretty valid. I mean, they're pretty reasonable positions, but we're in the sort of crossroads of all these things. Now, so it's lots of times you have these churches, not just our churches, but you have lots of churches going, we've got to find a cause that really helps people understand what we're doing. You gotta, well, we already have a great cause. I, want to, I think we, we are a part of the most important cause in the world. I mean, literally. I, I think as we were talking, as I'm like, there is no greater cause than what we're called to do. And I'm talking to you differently than I would talk to any, other, any part of our church. The cause that we're attached to is about introducing people to Jesus. We believe that that changes people's lives. I wish you guys, I wish you guys could stand where I stand at the door, you know, at the, at, after church. Some of you who are on the prayer team get glimpses of this because I get people who will say to me in 10 and 30 second bursts of information about what they're going through and about how God has met them or how they need Jesus and all of that stuff we just talked about in terms of evangelism. They're telling me this stuff at the door. In the, I mean, they would never have this conversation with any other person in a public setting at the door while other people are walking by them, but they hold my hand and they go, I don't know what to do. My wife just left me. We have a couple kids. What are we supposed to do? Tears in their eyes. So you might see me sometimes. I just pray for them right there. There's times where, they, where someone will come to me and say, I'm so overwhelmed that I don't know what to do. There was a couple who came um, last week 
I grab some of our elders to talk with them. The, the woman is just, she's just saying, you know, she went through her story of abuse and neglect. How she had her, you know, she was part of a church where the, the when she was married to the pastor and the, the, the pastor went absolutely insane. Her, you know, basically meth addict, all kinds of stuff and just started becoming abusive and she was running away. I mean, it was like this, you cannot believe how much pain she has in her life. So we pulled the elders together and we prayed with her over her. There's times where I've met, I, I, people can't even get the words out. They come and stop at the door and they just can't even get the words out. And so if it's a, if it's a guy, I'll just, I'll put my hands on and just pray for him. If it's a woman, I'll bring them down to the front. And some of the women in our prayer ministry pray for these folks. And it is like, you just see what God's doing in their life and how desperately they need God. We get stories. You, should, you guys, we got, to, we, we got um, our, our junior high and high school, you know, we, so Hillary and Jordan, we, we got to, they're, they're candidates for licensing, which is, a, which is a big deal. Basically, it's an affirmation of God's call in their life. And we got, I'm in this room with them and they're talking about what they're doing and what God's men and their, what God's doing in their life and their spouses are with them. And then people from our congregation, some of you are here, that were in the room, <clears throat> sitting in there, just kind of telling the story to the governing elder board over the whole church. I hope, I hope that makes sense. But telling them why, what God's done in their life. But I'm listening to Hillary talk over tears about how she can't believe how God has called her to do this job. How being with students at camp and being with them in the midst of their life, it's so critically important how these parents and these friends and all these convergence of all these things with the kids all by themselves and they go the high school ministry the junior high ministry has come around them to listen to her husband Stephen go I so believe in you and then sit to, to have Jordan have the same thing with uh, someone from the church saying here's what I've seen in him and what it's meant to my own family tears running down his face as he talks about how much it's meant to his own family and then his uh, his wife Sarah says just like Hillary's husband goes I don't like to say a lot of words but she just turned and looked at him and just goes I you know her dad was a youth pastor and she goes I was determined not to marry a youth pastor <laughs> and then I did and then you decided to go be a youth pastor and she goes I'm going to paraphrase I'm not going to do this exactly right but she goes and you you have to do this I can't imagine you doing anything else because it matters so much I mean you guys we could talk about stories of every single person on our staff about how much it matters. There is no greater cause. We, don't, we, we, we are about the other causes which we're compelled to because we follow Jesus. There are other things we're going to talk about later on in the year. You're going to hear us talk about things that we're doing in the community that are so fun, things like the Harvest Carnival and all that other stuff that we're involved in. Those, are all, those aren't the primary cause. The primary cause is us being connected to Jesus and connecting people to Jesus. That is what we do. It is such a critical, critical cause. What the Bible says is, that we, we align ourselves with what God is doing when we take a portion of our money and go, it's yours, God. I, don't, I, I give up control over it. And you know this. You gave it to me to watch over to steward, but it's all yours anyways, and I'm going to give you a portion of it back. And what it does is it aims your heart at God's purposes in your life. It just does. I wish there was another way <laughs> where it's like, there's another way that my heart could be aimed so specifically, but it is in our giving that something happens like that. Now, I'm going to put a number on the board. Here's a number. Ready for a big number. There it is. Twelve. For a lot of us, and for a lot of our church, what they understand giving as is when we hear about a need, we'll respond. What they think about more often than not is if I have a little bit left over out of the margin of my life, I will give that little bit to the church. That's how I started giving when I was a college student. I had like five bucks in my pocket, and I was like, well... 
I was going to go to Starbucks, this new, brand new cool coffee place, you know. And, you know, I wonder if it'll hit, I wonder if it'll take off, you know, whatever. <clears throat> and it was like, you know what, I can go and I'll just, but I'll give this. It was like that kind of, it was like a little bit I had left over. And there's nothing wrong with that. That was a starting place for me. And I didn't always do it. Sometimes I really wanted a coffee. Sometimes I did. But I learned over the course of my life that really what, what God has begun kind of pointing me at is that I want you, Jeff, to be a regular giver. I want you to move to be someone who gives regularly. If you only give once in a while, I understand. I was like that. That's a stepping stone. But I want you to understand, as people who are leaders in our church, I want you to give 12 times a year. You can give more than that. You can break it up however you want. I want you to give monthly because I want you to see what it does. Now, now notice, I'm not asking you to give more money. I'm asking you to give regularly because I think it aims your heart. I don't think we can be a radically generous people. I don't think we can become the people God has called us to be if there is not a regular focus on us, this group of people going, I'm going to give every single month. You might give every single week. You might give every two weeks. I have my bank account set up to withdraw the money, money automatically on the 15th of the month. That's just how I do it, 12 times a year. I know that might be a big deal for you. Some of you have never, this, make, this requires budgeting and planning. This means a conversation with, if you're married, with your spouse going, we, are we, can we do this? How does this work? But it means you setting it up and going, I'm going to do this. It may mean that you have to do like I do. I don't have it where I write a check every, every uh, you know, once a month. I have it just taken out of my account because I'll forget. It might mean that you have to like download our little push pay app and set it up to do it and then you don't have to think about it. It might mean you have to do it through your bank or whatever else it is. But here's what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to give more money. If God's calling you to do that, great. We can, there is so much ministry. This is the greatest cause in the world. But what I want you to consider is what does it mean to become a regular giver? Once a month, 12 times a year. Um, it is for us to be contributing to the ongoing work of God in the world, a cause that matters. Fourth, this is the last one. I believe God's called us to unleash worship. So all of these things that the world says are impossible, all these kinds of things, telling of God's glory, all this stuff, unleash worship. So we have unleashing disciples, unleashing God's story, unleashing generosity, and unleashing worship. Um, it's very, it, you know, um, it's not uncommon, I should say it this way, for people to imagine that what we do in terms of all of these instruments is to provide background music for coffee drinkers. And I just want you to know that just breaks my heart. <laughs> it is really good music and we do have coffee. So those two things, it's not the impossible you get to that place, but I want you to understand something. This is a response of God's people to him. It is common prayers set to music. It is, we are reading and reciting prayers that now have a melody. That's all that it is. And if we start thinking about it as background music, we miss the beauty of what God wants to do in it. Um, it, is, it, is the, it is one of the most compelling things that tell God, tells God's story to people who are new. It is a way for people to begin to see. I didn't realize this when I was you know, younger. I was always like, yeah, it's nice background music, and I will stand and wait till the message starts, because that's why I'm here. Folks, there, are, there is so much that God wants to do in worship in our church. Let me just give you a sense of someone who, this is um, it's a pretty real book, which you'll find out in a second. I'm going to read you a little um, excerpt from it. This is a book by Anne Lamott called Traveling Mercy. Some of you guys maybe read this book. But I, wanna, I want you to hear her story of her conversion. Some of you maybe heard me read this before. It's one of my favorite stories in the world. And I want you to listen closely for the moment in which worship plays a role in her conversion. She's a very good writer. She won the Guggenheim 
fellowship. I mean, she's just basically, that just means these really rich people said, your, your contribution to writing is so good, we don't want you to do anything else except write, here's a lot of money. That's how awesome she is. So she tells a story. She's struggled with addiction. And the story, as she's recounting it, she's just, um, she's actually just had an abortion and she's trying to really basically end her life. She's had year, like nights after night of pills and drinking and she's kind of at her wit's end and here's what she says. So kind of have that tired and weary kind of feel. And one week later, I went back to church. I was so hungover, I couldn't stand up for the songs. And this time I stayed for the sermon. Some of you will connect to this. Which I just thought was so ridiculous. <laughs> like someone trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape it. It was as if the people were singing in between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time. It felt like their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared kid. And I opened up to that feeling, and it washed over me. And I began to cry before I le- and, I, and left before the benediction. And I raced home and felt the little cat. She refers to Jesus being someone like a little cat, kind of, you know, like you have a stray cat kind of following you along. And she's, she's aware of Jesus at this point. And she says, you know, it's like you can't feed a stray cat because then you now have a cat. So she refers to him as a little cat. And I felt the little cat running along at my heels. And I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams. That's a writer. And I opened the door to my houseboat, and I stood there a minute, and then I hung my head, and I said, F it. I quit. I took a long, deep breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in. So this is my beautiful moment of conversion. And she says this quote. Put this on, I'll put this on the screen. It's beautiful. It's from George Herbert. And here in the dust and dirt, oh, here the lilies of his love appear. It is in worship, not the ridiculous, <laughs> bizarre teaching of some person, but it is in the authentic worship of the people in that church which he goes, okay, you can come in. I want you to understand that when, I talk, when we talk about, we talk about worship, it is something that you do as people who I regard as leaders in our church. So you're going to see us. We were trying things to be able to deal with not only this wall. We were trying to figure out some things like that. We're, you know, we're trying to shake some stuff up. Some of you guys lost your seat, and you were like, what happened to my seat, and where did my church go? And they better have good swag at this leader thing, because I'm really ticked off. <laughs> so hopefully you got what you're looking for. But we're trying to push people forward because we want, at our church, I just want you to know, we have the farthest distance from the stage to the first set of, of chairs. And there's a, there's a distance that says, this is where performance happens. This is where the audience happens. And we have to be able to blur those lines a little bit more. So you're going to see us have those lame plastic chairs out here. Not lame. Glorious. Okay. For the, forever. So here's what I want you to do. You might need to move to a less comfortable seat up in front where it's even louder. If you're not yet an earplugs person, get some. Okay. It's loud. But here's why. When you worship, you are, you are literally giving people, you are leading people. You are, you are a person who is showing people what God looks like. Really. And it is so hard to explain. I, I can't explain. I would not have known that having not been in this position before. I can just tell you when people worship, they go, oh, that's what, that's what happens to people, even if they're not sure if they want to do it. Here's a quote I want you to just hold on to. Just an active, the active participation. Did I put this in the notes? I maybe didn't. Oh, there I go. No, that's okay. Keep that one up there. That's a beautiful quote anyways. All right. The active participation in worship by God's people reveals his glory. 
The active participation in worship by God's people reveals his glory. That is what God's called us to do in so many different things. There's a lot of different ways this gets expressed. For us, it will be in discipleship. It will be in telling God's story. It will be in generosity and it will be in worship. God's story gets told when God's people worship. So we don't get to sit passively and receive the songs of a wonderful band of volunteers. You know that our, like, the other campuses look at Mission Viejo and go, how do they do it? Because everybody's a volunteer. We have such great worship leaders and everybody's a volunteer because they care about it, because it matters. They're not in it for a paycheck. They're in it because they love it. And they're desperate to see people responding to God. More than, not more than anything else, as much as anything else, a passionately worshiping community can really change the life of this church. Make sense? All right. So don't sit, lead. We're going to have a time to respond in worship. What I want to do is this, though, before we do that. The band's going to come up in a moment. What I want to do is this. Some of you are out of gas. Some of you are exhausted. Some of you heard the words, (laughs) weary and heavy laden, and thought, that's me. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I can go any further. I don't know what else to do. I've tried, but I got nothing left, and I want to be a leader, and I am, and I want to keep serving, and there's all this stuff, and I don't know whether I should quit or give up or whatever. If you're a person who just goes, you know, look, I'm in a season of my life, and it's really hard, and I'm weary and heavy laden, and I need God to take some of that burden. I don't know how he does it. I don't know if he's going to do it, but I just got nowhere else to turn. If that's you, would you have the courage to stand right where you are? Just right where you are. Just a couple of folks. Life is heavy and hard. Is there anybody else who wants to stand? Just goes like, yeah. Those of you who are around them, you've seen this before. We do this from time to time. Would you put your hand on their shoulder? Would you even stand up with them? Let them know they're not alone. I know some of the stories of some of the people who are standing. I know the weight that is upon them. There is no greater cause to which we get to attach ourselves than to see Jesus come alongside people. And begin to move in their life. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, I don't know the specifics of what people are facing in this room. Some of them I do know. I know their hearts are heavy. I know that they've worked hard and given so much. And they're longing to see a little bit of relief from the pain that's in their life and the exhaustion. Jesus, they need you. Father, the ministry of volunteering, the ministry of being a parent, the ministry of being someone who works in a difficult place, who operates in a world which does not love you, is really hard. And the burden, Father, of continuing to get up and say, God's so good, is becoming a little bit more difficult to get out of our own mouths. So Jesus, for these people, would you come upon them with a unique and powerful peace? Would you give to them life and energy and joy that they can't possibly imagine could ever visit them at this time and the difficulty that they face? You, Jesus, make the impossible possible. 
So we pray in your capable and powerful name that there would be great victory, that the impossible would be unleashed in their lives, and that this room would come alive with people who do not have everything together but do have you. So Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want to do. We are going to worship. Okay? Please do not treat this like background music. We believe that God ministers to people who are hurting. We believe that God uses the celebration of people around them to encourage them. We believe that those words of the songs that we pray, the songs that we sing, really matter. So let's do this. Let's stand together as a community. Let's respond to God. worship in this place tonight. Let's together celebrate who God is and all that he's done in our lives and the promises that he has put before us. So let's sing like never before together. And our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is